I'm Mark Gagan and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Today I'm talking to Vicky Carter, a very senior reinsurance broking executive with a glittering career. As well as being chairman of International Capital Solutions at Guy Carpenter, Vicky is a member of the Council of Lloyds and is a Lloyds deputy chairman. But we are going to be talking about her day job intermediating between the insurance community and the reinsurance and capital markets. That's because for over a decade, Vicky has also been directly involved in Guy Carpenter, MMC and the wider markets youth development programmes. This work has culminated in the very high profile Rising Professional series of events in London. As the first post-pandemic edition is fast approaching, I decided to focus this interview on what our industry has learned from the pandemic and what plans and strategies there are to get young people's careers back on track now that the world is tentatively returning back to -to face-to-face working. Were there any positives from the accidental work-from-home revolution caused by COVID? And how has insurance fared versus other sectors in the great resignation that has followed in its wake? Vicky is one of the market's great communicators, and this is a typically enjoyable and frank encounter that doesn't duck any of the big questions. Enjoy the podcast. Well, Vicky, welcome back to The Voice of Insurance. It's great to be back, Mark. Thanks very much for having me yet again. Well, it's just really, really good to have you on the show. In fact, it was nearly two years ago. So, But last time we were probably talking all about the market, the hardening market, the reinsurance market and capital raising environment at Lloyd's. And this is completely different. Today, we're really talking about youth and development in our industry. So I'd like to dive straight into that because obviously we're talking about youth and development in a pandemic environment now, hopefully post-pandemic environment. I'd like to talk about how you feel that the pandemic has hit the careers of some of the younger professionals in our industry. Sure, Mark. Of course, it's had an impact. There's no question about that. You know, we're a people business. We're very much an industry that engages and builds on relationships. So being remote and being at home it's very difficult to create that. And when you're new into the market, you don't have that ability to go out and sort of move around. As I've had the fortune over the years, when I first came in, I could go out with senior people and you slowly sort of learn who people are and you build those relationships over many years. And it's a sort of fundamental part of our industry. So, of course, it's been an impact. And how do we get young people, a lot who have joined during the pandemic, how do we get them back into the office? How do we get them to meet and engage with their colleagues and to learn? There have been advantages. There are one or two advantages which have been actually clear through the pandemic. We have been able to encourage some of our younger ones to join all our calls. And if we were back working, you know, would they go out with us to sort of client meetings? Maybe some of the real newcomers wouldn't have done that. So I think from that point of view, you know, they've been exposed to conversations and they probably had a sort of broader engagement in calls and things. But that's never the same as that face-to-face contact. So you can if you're on a Teams call, you can quietly let the junior lurk in the corner, whereas perhaps before you would have just been face-to-face or physically wouldn't be possible to get everyone in a big meeting room. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's great. And listening is a great way of learning and being exposed to as many conversations or meetings that way is obviously a huge advantage when you can't be in an office. From what you've said at the start there, it sounds to me that you are much more in favour of getting everyone physically, that there's nothing quite like physical presence in an office? I think it's very easy to forget we are a people business. And I think the value of face-to-face communication in our industry is so important. 
As I said, there are lots of advantages of the virtual world. Things can be done quicker. You can bring people together a lot quicker. You don't have to wait weeks to arrange a meeting to go and see somebody the other side of the world. And sadly, I mean, sadly, in many respects, everybody is available 24-7. So you can get to people a lot quicker. We'll come on to the impact of that because there's some negative implications of that. So I think that is the benefit. But I really feel that we need to encourage people back to the office. We need to get people back engaging with each other. I think, you know, talking to my colleagues when they have come back, they really have noticed the difference of those face-to-face meetings compared to doing things virtually. You get so much more out of a conversation when you are face-to-face. And is it because the virtual world was so planned, wasn't it? People working full-time seem to have everything set into these half-hour slots. It's like, well, sorry, i have got to end the call with you because I'm going to hop on another call with someone else. And then after that, I'm going to have a call with someone else. And they're interrupted. You know, you've got, I mean, you had some really, really funny situations. You know, there were dogs or animals (laughs) or wives, husbands, children, Amazon delivering things. We've all been in those Zoom calls where it has been fairly disrupted by stuff going on at home. So there's not necessarily that 100% concentration when you're actually face-to-face with somebody in a room. So whilst some of those were quite amusing, it can disrupt the conversation in many ways. Is it also the random nature of those, some of the encounters you get in the office where you're just bumping into someone, you're making a cup of coffee or standing by the, you know, water cooler moments, etc.? Those water cooler moments, yeah. It's learning. And I think this is a business where you need, as a young person coming in, you need to suck and absorb as much information as you can because that's where you really learn. And I think you're right. I mean, just walking up to Lloyd's, you bump into people en route and you'll have that random conversation, which could be so important. As you say, being in the office, socializing again, meeting people, talking to people, talking to our colleagues. You miss out on the buzz, stuff going on in other parts of the market that maybe you're not aware of. And we had a breakfast this morning with some of our rising professionals and just listening to them, how excited they are to be back in the office. They love it. They don't want to be at home. They feel they miss so much. So I think that younger generation are really keen to be back in an office environment. And it sets up structure. You know, I think that's quite important too. Having a structure to your day is also important. You know, coming in at nine to five or that kind of thing, lunch hour, etc. I think it's not necessarily about the hours. I think it's just the fact when you come into an office, it's a working environment and it's sort of conducive to working, obviously. But, you know, you can get to things more easily. You can go physically in and pick up a piece of paper or you go and see some information. You go and talk to somebody else, a colleague. Whereas if you're at home, you've got to phone around to find that person. So it just, those sort of things take longer and it's much more efficient actually being in the office. Would you also say some of that sort of the historical context of me being over a certain age in my profession would be that junior staff would get the benefit, whether they wanted it or not, of me explaining the whole context of why this is happening or why this is important. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to get the history, some of the history of some of the things. Otherwise, you wouldn't get that if you were just being shown something sort of at face value. On a screen. I remember when I first came into the industry, just walking around every single day, going out into the market, meeting people, going with senior people, just understanding how they negotiate. You know, how do you negotiate through a toughening market? How do you broke a lot of our young people had never been through a hard market? So just picking up tips. I mean, that was an all important part of learning how to negotiate and how to transact the business. And you go from one underwriter who might have a very value argument against writing a piece of business. You could use that argument in your next broke. So all those things are part of a really important learning process, which, again, you'd miss out if you were doing it virtually. 
the benefit, as I said, with virtual, some of the benefits that we've used the best effect we can is including young people on all our calls. So they learn that way. But it's just not the same, in my view. And probably talking to our younger people, they just don't get the value when it's really in real time. Yeah. Obviously, before the pandemic, we were very much focusing for perhaps the first time as an industry on diversity and inclusion issues. And we were finally sort of getting to grips with that as an industry. Do you think that has been something that's been set back? I suppose we were dealing with a crisis, so it would be perfectly understandable if it had been set back. I think our industry has actually been very committed to DNI. I think it's done a really good job in engaging across the marketplace. And I think actually a lot of the activities have kept going through the pandemic. So, you know, dive-in. I mean, dive-in's become a huge success now. And that was all done, well, a lot of it was done virtually this year. Things like engagements like that. I know within GC, we did a huge amount around engaging with our employees, whether it was around supporting them through mental health challenges and the stresses of being at home and being in lockdown, which some people found very, very difficult. We did a number of things. You know, we did things for their kids. We did gym classes. We had sort of mental health first aider networks. So I think we actually went over and beyond. I think we were more engaged because we were more conscious of keeping people connected while we were during lockdown. So I have to say, I don't think that's been really impacted negatively. I think, if any way, we were more productive around that. Well, that's very, very good to hear. Another thing that's risen out of the pandemic has been, it's another media phrase of the great resignation, perhaps this point of reflection where people are sitting at home realising perhaps they yeah, they wanted to change careers or do something different and you know, make the most of things when they came out of lockdown and make the most of the rest of their lives. How do you think insurance has fared in that great resignation? Do you think we've done better than other sectors? I think the whole of the financial services has been impacted. I don't think the insurance industry has been any worse affected than any other part of financial services. I think what we've learned from that, Mark, is we've got to provide a much more conducive environment to young people. We've got to make them appreciate that this is an industry that actually they can get really involved in some of the really big topics that matter in the world. And I think, you know, if you look at the generation, they're passionate about those topics. So I think we've got to get better at explaining how we tackle those challenges and how they can get involved. So I think that's one of the things. I think the other thing is what that generation want is they want a much more flexible working life. So I think we've got to adapt to that. You know, the world is changing so fast. And I think the younger generation coming through are very different to how we led our lives when we first came into the industry. We have to adapt. I mean, our industry is all about adapting to changes. (laughs) Who would have said a few years ago there was going to be a pandemic? Who would have said a few months ago that we're going to have this horrendous situation happening and developing in the world? So there's always something we have to adapt to. And I think the working environment, making probably a better work-life balance is going to be something very important and very important to attracting talent. Flexible working hours. People have suffered enormous stress through the whole pandemic of working at home, doing long hours. And I think, you know, Zoom calls have been great on one hand, but you're always available as we've touched on earlier. And that means it can be a very, very long working day. And I think that's put some degree of pressure on some employers who haven't been able to handle that sort of stress so well. So I think giving people the ability to have a better work-life balance is going to be very important. And that's something you've backed here. Is it a lesson from the pandemic? Obviously, before the pandemic, there would have been a large percentage of CEOs who have said, 
you know what? When someone asks me, can I work from home? I sort of assume that they mean they don't really want to work. They've got something better to do. And of course, now with the pandemic, we've proved that wrong completely, that actually, of course, everyone can be perfectly productive from all sorts of places. So do you think that hybrid type model where people are in three days a week or something like that is going to be the right sort of balance? Yeah, I think it is. And I think we're all learning as we go along. But I mean, what we've adopted here is a three and two. We expect people to be in three days a week and two days they can work flexible. I think, look, there's a degree of trust with employees. If you don't trust your employees, there's something wrong in the relationship. And, you know, what we've found is actually people have worked incredibly hard. And I think one of the things we did last year at GC is we gave our staff a half day on Fridays through the summer period, which I think went a long way to show our appreciation and management for the work and effort they put in. Results speak for themselves. You know, we've had a fantastic year. And as a result of that, I think it's nice to reward people for their hard work. That sort of appreciation is important. And I think giving that people that flexibility, it can change people's lifestyles. Can they afford to move slightly further away from London because they don't have to commute five days a week? And some people spend hours commuting. Does that give them a better work-life balance? If they're at home for a couple of days, can they get more done? Sometimes people can actually work better from home because it's a quieter environment. There may be an office. So I think it depends on the individual. It depends on the team they work for. It depends on the attitude of the individual as well. Is your attitude, therefore, much more less about worrying about input? Are you here five days a week? Does it matter? More than about the output, obviously. Absolutely. If yeah. someone's working from home and then they're a placing broker and they're not placing any business, then presumably that's a problem. <laughs> that well, is a know, problem. But if they're like in the office th- and not placing business either, it's equally a problem. Absolutely. It's more matters about whether they're placing business. And you know the people who work. And sadly in life, there's always going to be one or two who probably take advantages. But I think generally on the whole, people are sensible And I think people will do the work when there needs to be the work, and that's important. So I suppose those same people, less trustworthy and less hardworking, when they were all in the office, they were hiding in bars and restaurants and all going on business trips and having days off. They get found out ultimately, and um, they're just not going to get on, are they, in their careers? So I think it's down to the individual. But I think flexible working will absolutely be a part of future life, not only in the city, probably in an awful lot of industries. So just to get this really clear before we move on to anything else, do you think some of the younger professionals have had their career dented or their career prospects slightly dented by what has happened in the last couple of years or not, do you think? I think it's been really tough for them. It's a staggering number, but apparently across MMC, we've employed 5,000 new employees, (laughs) which is an extraordinary number. And those people, a lot of them have never been into one of our offices, which is tough. And, you know, when you join any organization, you want to get to know the people, you want to know what's the IP of that organization, who looks after what things. And it's very difficult to do that remotely. So I think from that regard, it's hard. And I think a lot of the really younger people coming in, maybe from university, they don't know how to sort of get into that work mode in the office. They've never been in that sort of environment. So I think it's tough for them and they need to come in to sort of understand that. So... I think in many respects, it's been very, very difficult for the younger generation. I think, as I said, they're very keen. Certainly the ones I've engaged with are desperate to come back. They want to be back in. Is there the feeling that they won't be able to get promoted until at least they've been in the office with everybody else? I think they're hungry. They're hungry for information. They're hungry to get on in their careers. And I think they feel frustrated at times, you know, and they miss the social interaction. I think, you know, it's a big part of our industry. We're a very social industry. And I think they miss that. And so I think there are a number of factors. 
that has been tough for them? It's a bit of a big question. We're always in this industry, we're always talking about this war for talent. Yeah. And do you think we're fighting that war hard enough in insurance? There's definitely a clear challenge of bringing good talent into this industry. I think one of the things we do really badly in the insurance industry is sell what we do. And if you go out to most young people today in universities and schools and you say you're in insurance or how about thinking about insurance, you can imagine them conjuring up a pretty boring impression of what the industry has. Yet this is an industry that touches everything to do with society. And it's probably one of the most dynamic industries because everything that's happening in the world and the world is changing so fast, our industry is involved in. If you think about it, how diverse we are as an industry. And getting that message out to young people, I think when they see that and they understand it could be anything from all the fascinating things going on around technology at the moment. You look at how AI is being used, you know, whether it's in agriculture, in medicine, it's fascinating. Some of the new products coming out. And I think it's an area where we need to make people coming into the industry or people we want to attract to the industry We've got to make them realize that a very different skill base is going to be needed in the future. I think it's not going to be the same old type of talent we need. We're going to want very, very different skill sets in the future. And I think opening up the eyes of, you know, whether it's at universities, whether it's schools, to how this industry is a really fascinating industry to be in is so important. And I'm not sure we're really good at it. I don't think we do enough to promote it. Sell the idea that they can actually solve some of the world's biggest problems. Absolutely. We've seen the younger generation are passionate about climate, what's going on with climate, saving the planet, things around ESG, all those you know topics that are so hot at the moment. Those are the things they're passionate about. And this industry is making huge strides around trying to find solutions to that, trying to find solutions to ESG, trying to manage the volatility created by climate change. You look at the whole area of carbon, carbon capture, carbon exchanging. It's just so diverse, this industry. And as I say, everything geared towards the future, everything that's happening, how fast the world is changing, this industry touches and is involved in. I've just come from an insurtech conference, and insurtech and fintech, it certainly seems to have captured the imagination of the youth of today, certainly. And it's been a fantastic event to go to. Obviously, you're part of a, quite an incumbent. How does the incumbent insurance business compete with the sort of excitement and vision that a sort of recently formed insurtech might be able to conjure up in the minds of a young professional? It's a fascinating subject and I've been quite involved with what's going on in the Lloyd's Lab and some of the things coming out of that. But it can be a minefield. Insurtech is a complex subject. There's so many new insurtechs starting almost on a monthly basis. And for anybody in our industry, anybody running a company, they know they need to look at insurtech. They need to understand that it has a part to play in their business to make it more efficient, to make it more productive, to make it more um, profitable. But it's how do they do that? And I think it can be very, very costly. It can take a huge amount of time and it can take a huge amount of resource. So our job is certainly as brokers and advisors is to help them manage through that. And I think that's a challenge, but I think we're making huge strides in there. I mean, we've certainly set up an interesting business called GC Genesis, which helps our clients sort of manoeuvre through that very, very difficult world of tech and where it's valuable. And I think what we'll see a lot more of is rather than companies go out and buy insurtechs, they'll partner with them. Because in that way, if the partnership doesn't work, it can be sort of fail and fail fast, which is important around insurtechs. 
but they are going to be important to our industry because they do provide technology, they do provide insights, they do provide different products that will make the business far more efficient. We're already seeing it in digitalized businesses. Some of the MGAs, new MGA businesses being set up at very much have data and technology at their heart. And that's cutting the chain, cutting the costs, which are way too high. It's one of the challenges of the industry. How do we make businesses more efficient? So you think there's enough opportunity within Guy Carpenter, within MMC broadly, that dealing, just dealing with the insurance industry's interactions with InsurTech is going to keep ambitious young professionals busy enough and fulfilled enough? I think it's a vast subject and it's a topic that's only going to grow and get more complex. I think what's important for us is we've got to make sure that the talent we hire is geared towards understanding those businesses. So we're going out and populating our company with people from very different skill sets, whether it's Google, whether it's some of the big technology companies like Microsoft. Because as I say, they come from a very different background and a different skill set. And what will be good is getting them to challenge the way we do business. You know, we've done business like this for 300 years. Does that mean it should be done like this for the next 300 years? Absolutely not. And our industry is all about keep challenging to do things better. And that's what every board should be, is being challenged as how do you make your business more efficient? Do you have enough challenge, do you think? Do you have enough incentive to keep innovating? Absolutely, we have to. If we don't keep innovating, then you know, you're know you on a lost course. You've got to keep innovating. You've got to keep adapting. You've got to keep evolving. That's to me, is the key of a successful business. It's really important. If you don't, you're going to get left behind because businesses that do that will be have already proved you know, using technology will be more successful. And you're saying it really doesn't matter what size you are, just the fact that you're Guy Carpenter doesn't guarantee your survival is what you're saying. No, absolutely not. I mean, we've got a fantastic franchise, but that success has been built on evolving and evolving with the world in general. If you look at all the businesses, they're all adapting. They're all helping their clients transform, whether it's around energy from brown energy to green energy. Everybody's got to keep adapting to be successful. You've got to keep looking at how you improve your business. And your own way of doing business as well, and with the technology and your own adoption of it. Absolutely. Guess what? How many years ago we weren't using computers? We walked around with a questionnaire. That was the information we took around to underwriters. And they made a decision sitting in a box in probably five or ten minutes. It's very, very different today. The information, the data people get today to make much better decisions, where you'd like to think much better decisions, is extraordinary compared to what we had in the past. So just the transformation and the amount of data that people get now and can store and utilize for, you know, whether it's analyzing risk, whatever, is just completely different from where it was 10 years ago. And the next 10 years, it will be completely different again. Obviously, with your this focus you have on young professionals, what most encourages you about them, about the way they are? I just love their energy. I've had a fantastic run in this industry for years and it's been a fascinating transformation. I've done lots of different things, been very fortunate to travel the world. What I love about that, the enthusiasm, the hunger, their sort of voracious appetite to absorb information and to get on. And I find them exciting to be with. You know, they're great fun. They look at things very differently and they challenge what we do. And that's great to be challenged by somebody else with a completely different perspective. That's what we need to do. Is there anything that worries you about them? Anything that worries me about them? Yes, they'll probably push me out of a job very shortly (laughs) (laughs) because they'll be a lot better than I am. We've got some really interesting initiatives going on. We've got an apprentice scheme where we offer school leavers an opportunity to come in and work with us. 
and not just from your typical schools, but you know from very very different diverse schools. So we attract very diverse sort of talent into that apprentice scheme, and it's great to see them. And some of them are so grateful to have that opportunity, and you know they work hard and they turn out to be fantastic employees. So things like that, I love. I mean, I'm just very, very supportive of helping young people through this industry on the basis I've had an amazing run. It's time to. It's traditional. Anyone on a chat show, you'll know that they get to get their plug in uh, <laughs> at some point. But this is in keeping with the theme of our discussion today. Actually, in the time I've known you, nearly ten years ago, was it 2012 when you did the yep. first MMC Young Professionals event, and it's now called Rising Professionals. If I get the words it right, is correct. You're organising this event. It's coming up soon. Tell us about it and tell us how it's going to be different from other events because I've experienced this event and it's been a brilliant event with incredibly high-ranking speakers and with great insights and something that I thought was very far-sighted of MMC when you started doing it 10 years ago and obviously you've been fully instrumental in doing this. Tell us all about what this latest 2022 edition might be like. Well, it will be the best one to date, Mark, and it's always a challenge. How do you better previous ones? But again, it's really important. I think it's probably this year more than ever the value of bringing young people from right across the industry together is going to be more valued than it's ever been in the past just because of you know what we've been through with pandemic and all we've talked about earlier today. So to me, having a chance to get them together and then to offer them the ability to listen to really world-class speakers on all the critical topics that are facing the industry, to give them a different view, to have that opportunity as a young person to listen to some of these speakers on all these topics is, you know, I never had that opportunity and I think anybody would value it. So what are the topics we're going to touch on this year? We're going to have speakers on true entrepreneurism. We've got a phenomenal speaker who's done the most extraordinary things in his career. So um, that will be great. And he's passionate about inspiring the next generation. We're going to be doing a really interesting session all around climate change, carbon capture, carbon exchanges, carbon futures, which again, I think a lot of people hear about but have no idea how they work. So I think that will be really interesting. Um, We're doing a whole detailed session on cyber, all aspects of cyber. We've got some phenomenal speakers coming in from the other side of the world on cyber, all areas of cyber. We will be talking about the changing sort of economic landscape and what's going on in the world geared towards things like terror, which I think will be great. We've got a great speaker lining up to talk about diversity and inclusion all around sort of ESG, you know, what's going on. We've got the E part, obviously, with climate and carbon. The S bit often gets sort of forgotten. So we want to touch on that with the DNI. And we've got Dan Glaze will also give a speech. He's a phenomenal speaker. So you never know what Dan's going to talk about in his session. John Neal's doing a piece about Lloyd. So We've got a fantastic, you know, I think we've sort of touched on most of the key topics. What's the overarching theme? The theme this year is navigating an extraordinary world. And it is an extraordinary world. And I have to say the response this year has been phenomenal. Within two, I think three weeks of going out, we were close to 800 people already signed up. And we are full house at 1000 people. And we've literally, I think we've got a couple of places left. So it's been incredible. And it's really for these are the markets that you trade with can send get a table full of their young professionals so how it works is um, any company can take a table which is a table of 10 at the gala night which is basically the culmination of the two days and the idea is that each company the ceo or one of the senior leadership will host that table at the gala night and they will pick eight of their aspiring young to attend the two-day forum which is held at the mermaid theater at puddle dock so it's all in the city and then the gala night is at old billingsgate 
anything over cost we donate to charity which is great it's nice to be able to do something like that as well which is important and at the gala night we have a world-class keynote speakers in the past we've had fw de clerk dame eliza manning and buller chris hadfield who's most decorated uh, canadian astronaut who led the space station and he was one who sang david bowie music down to earth if you remember <laughs> And um, we will have another world-class speaker. And then we've got two sensational pop acts this year, which is going to be quite cool. But we don't disclose that till the night. So that is the surprise. You've had, you had JLS and Craig David in previous Craig editions, David, we've had Rudimental, and we had the Kaiser Chiefs. So it's been a, as you know, Mark, it's a tough lineup to better that. So the pressure's on, but hopefully we'll have done it again this year. I'm looking forward to my invitation. Vicky. Absolutely, Mark. <laughs> we hope you'll be there. <laughs> but anything else about the event now in a post-pandemic world? Anything that is it's going to change the character of it at all? I think it's, you know, for me, it's the important thing is making sure we cover the really critical topics that the industry faces and addressing those with, you know, some different views. I think that's really important. And I think just getting people together is really important. You know, people have been apart. And certainly when you're back in client meetings, the first thing everybody says, it's so nice to see you face to face. So having a thousand people in the industry all together on one night will be great fun. And um, I think it'll be a tremendous event. And I'm really excited about it. I think it'll be raucous. So how do people get involved to snap up some of those remaining seats? They can either email myself if they want to. Um, so very happy or people could phone me, send me a message or contact anybody at Guy Carpenter and ask them to put them in touch with myself. I can put any of those contact details on the notes that go with the podcast. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, I've run through all my questions. I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show again, Vicky, and good luck with this event. Well, I don't think you need like a, I already know how good this event has been in previous editions. So just as long as you can live up to what you've done before, then you'll have done extremely well. The pressure is on, Mark, but I hope we won't disappoint. No, I can guarantee that it's going to be a tremendous event. The lineup of speakers this year is phenomenal. So we're really looking forward to welcoming everybody there and just how great it'll be to actually to welcome people there in person. So all the MMC uh, leadership are coming over for it. So they're all traveling over from the States. So Dan will be there. John Doyle will be there. And the leaders of our four businesses will be there. So it's full turnout from our side. It's going to be MMC in London week. <laughs> There's a lot of people coming in. I'll see if I can get in and come on the podcast. Absolutely, you should. Great. Well, thank you so much, Vicky. Good luck with the event. And thanks for talking frankly about all those issues that we've talked about earlier that you'd spoke about really frankly. And I really appreciate you coming and talking about that. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance podcast is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass.
Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>